0: As we um, prepare to hear God's word this morning, let's pray for his blessing and his presence on our time. We pray, oh God, that you meet us where we are. Some of us come here with great joy. There's life in what it is that we're a part of right now, whether it be a a new relationship that we're excited about, a a pregnancy, a child, uh, or our family, a work Situation. We have joy and we come to this place to give you glory and praise um, for that joy that you've granted us. Some of us come with hurt and with fear. We're mourning, mourning the loss of a loved one, mourning the loss of um, an opportunity, mourning the loss of, of health or whatever it is. Father, we ask that you meet us with your comfort presence your love and your peace in that some of us simply come um through the day-to-day stuff and we are simply here um lord because you've called us to be here and we want to come and continue to be a part of this body and 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 we're here father sort of on a not a, a bad place but not a great place and we're we're just living life meet us there too continue to provide for us your spirit your transformation, and we know that your word does that in our hearts and our lives. We know that you move in us through your word, and we ask that you do so this morning. Challenge us to be a discipler, someone who is part of growing your kingdom by actively engaging in the life of someone who needs to learn more, grow more, be prayed for, be encouraged in what it means to walk with you. And, Lord, may we be discipled by others, encouraged and challenged ourselves as we grow in faith. We praise you, O God, for this church. We're grateful for your presence in a very full time of life and ministry and challenge. And we ask, O God, that you continue to provide that in the days and the weeks and the months ahead. You are good, and we are grateful for your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We're continuing our New Year kickoff of hitting um, some of our, our new work, some of our new statements, some of, the, some of the things that we say regularly here at the river. Um, last week, if you remember, I shared with you the, our new vision statement. And if you remember, the vision statement is what we want to see for the river, what we want to see. And can anyone, is there anyone who can recite that without looking at your notes from last week? Anyone? No gold stars for you. To see a people inspired by God's love and faithfully sharing that love with the world. That's our new vision statement. This morning I want to share with you our new mission statement. A mission statement is something that we are about, the work that we are about doing together. So we want to see something in our vision, and then we want to do something with our mission. And then next week, beginning next week, uh, Nick Inthout, our youth pastor here, is going to be presenting the first sermon on one of our values. And that value, in sort of a nutshell, is service. You're going to be hearing more as he and I and Pastor Will flesh that out for you. Um, over the months of January and February. But that's where we are right now. This morning is about sharing what it is that we do, our mission. And we're going to um, focus on the text, the Great Commission text from Matthew 28, um, right at the very end of the chapter, beginning at verse 16, if you would turn in your Bibles with me. From the Gospel of Jesus Christ in Matthew. Matthew. Then the eleven disciples, eleven because Judas has committed suicide, so instead of twelve, now there's only eleven. It's after Jesus was crucified and is resurrected from the dead. They went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, You see in your um, sermon outline a title there, and that title says, "A new mission for 2014." New Mission for the River." New Mission for Our Work." New Mission for Our, our Focus and what it is that we do." That title' is actually quite misleading. And uh, in some ways I apologize for that, but there's really no other way to phrase it. See, as we as leadership and, and a lot of different folks who've been a part of this process have walked it through, one comment has come over and over again. You don't really, as a follower of Jesus Christ, ever change your mission. It really has, since Christ enacted it in Matthew chapter 28, always been the same, It's always about making disciples. But we in leadership realize that um, words have power, they can compel us to things, they can encourage us to things, and what we want to be able to do is to present to you a mission statement that has some hooks in it that grab on to you and grab on to things in our ministry life and our worshiping life and encourage us, because we can visualize them or think about them in different ways, that they encourage us to actively engage in the work of the kingdom of God. That, that they, they grab on and they give us some energy towards being part of God's work. And part of the reason why we understand that is we've seen it from the very beginning in the story of the church that that's been needed. We see it here. We see it here in the life of the disciples, the disciples need something, some focus, some energy to get them moving forward. Remember, the disciples, in the, the reality that they're in right now, post-resurrection, pre-ascension, so post him rising from the dead, pre-Jesus leaving and going back to heaven, ascending to be with God the Father... They're really not sure what's supposed to be happening next. They've spent three years with Jesus, Jesus pouring into them, Jesus teaching them, Jesus challenging them by his example to um, do what it is that Jesus is doing, to learn the things that Jesus is teaching them, to bear witness to the things that God has done through his son Jesus Christ. And they've been a part of that for three years. But now that Jesus has gone through the Passion Week, his death and his resurrection, you could imagine that a couple of disciples are sitting there going, what happens now? What, what, what do we do now? I mean, is Jesus just going to hang out? Well, we sort of follow him still. Is it going to be like it was before, except now he's got some scars in his hand and his feet and in his side, and we're not really sure if, you know what to call him because he's not a ghost. He's real flesh, but he's still the only person ever who's died and raised from the dead. What, what's supposed to happen now? In fact, we see it in the text. What does it say? It says, but some doubted. And I think that doubt came from a lack of understanding of what it is that they were to do now in this new reality, where it is that they're supposed to go, what sort of tasks are supposed to be ahead for them. And in the middle of that doubt, and in the middle of that lack of understanding on the disciples' part, Jesus steps in. He appears to them. Now, if you want to imagine the spot, I've been somewhere in the neighborhood, it's impossible to triangulate exactly where this happened, but I can give you an image. And the image is this. The hill that we're talking about in Galilee is probably a hill that rises maybe only two to three, at most, 400 feet above a lake, the Sea of Galilee. So you imagine a lake, and that lake is really only about five or six miles across. You can easily see each edge. And surrounding the lake are some mountains, and those mountains actually go up to, uh, let's say, 1,500 to 2,000 feet. It's actually not dissimilar if you were over at Lake Paris and sort of looking at that sort of lake where you see hills surrounding the lake, and then in the distance, there's some bigger mountains. So picture being on a hill there. Suddenly, Jesus appears. You're not sure what it is that you're supposed to be doing, and he gives you a speech. He gives you a commission. He gives you this challenge. And the disciples, in their own unique fashion, now have to figure out what to do with this. They were suddenly confronted with a new and confusing situation. Christ had led and discipled his followers, but in this instant, this commissioning moment, it's game on. It's here we go. It's all right, you've been three years with me, you've seen all you've seen, we've done all we've done, and now go. Now get to work, now get moving. And you can imagine if you're in that moment where suddenly all the work that Jesus had done in and through you was put upon you now, and you were expected to go and do many of the things that he had done and go and say, <coughs> excuse me, some of the things that he had said, that there would be some confusion on your part. They weren't sure. What tasks were ahead, nor how it was that they were going to be able to execute them. They don't, they don't know. How is this all supposed to work? Where are we going to go? What does it mean, go? Where is go? Is go in Galilee? Is go to Jerusalem? Is go really to the ends of the earth? What does is, what is my go mean? Where are you calling me to? They weren't sure. And that's why Christ said what he said. That's why Jesus speaks into this situation the words that he did. And in a moment, we'll get to why those words have great power for the disciples and ultimately why they should have great power for us and how we think about what our go means I want us to think about that for ourselves. What does it mean for you that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, confess His name as Lord, have received the gift of His grace? If, you have, uh, if you're in that position, then this great commission is yours. It's for you. This is, this is your challenge. This is not just something for the disciples. It's a challenge for all of us. And in our world, we wonder what's my role? What's my job in the kingdom? Has anyone ever been in that spot of thinking, what is it that I'm supposed to do in the life of the church? I'm, what, what, what am I? Where am I supposed to be going? Who am I supposed to be talking to? What groups am I supposed to be a part of? What things do, does God have ahead for me? What sort of things is he challenging me to be involved in? And that's a natural thing for us to ask, especially as life changes and as we grow older. There's some things in your 20s that you may not be involved with in your 30s. Well, what then? What do you do then in, in your 40s? Or you change a, a job or you change location. You move to a different city or a new state. What is my role now in this new place? I knew, I knew what this was before, but I'm not sure what this is. Or, or even some of the things that we've been involved with go away. And so now we have to figure out, now that this is gone, now that this, this thing in the kingdom that I was a part of is gone, what is it that I'm supposed to do now? What, 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 what's left for me? It's a fair question, and it's something that all of us should ask in our own unique fashion, because frankly, it, the answer can be somewhat subjective and is for all of us. It's a subjective answer to that question. What is your job? What is your role? Because we all have our own gifts and our own abilities. God has made you uniquely, just as he has made me uniquely. Some of you would say me more uniquely than others. We all have our own DNA, and that is spiritual as well as physical. And in the gifts and the role that God has given us in the kingdom, there are things that you do that I simply am not equipped or gifted to be able to do, and likewise for myself. And so, for all of us to work through what is it that is our gifts, our abilities, our talents, our passions, and where it is that they fit in the kingdom of God, it's a valid question, an appropriate question. But, although that is the case for us each subjectively, the Great Commission still stands for all. The Great Commission to Go. To make disciples, to baptize, and to teach is something that all of us receives. Remember, Jesus is here in the text speaking to the disciples. And let me tell you, they looked around that group of eleven and saw Peter. Peter was uniquely different than, say, Thomas. Or this disciple, John, was different than this disciple, Matthias, and they knew that, and they knew that they all had specific roles, and yet this command to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach is a command for all of them. It's a blanket statement, even in their own unique role. So for us, it's the same way. As I receive the Great Commission, so do you. And there's no thing that you and I can say that says, okay, well, the Great Commission is for a certain person or a certain gifting or a certain role in the church, and the, you know others don't have to worry about it so much. No, 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 no. It's not how it works. Great Commission is for you. Hear that this morning. Hear that and perhaps... Be convicted by it, because if we're not a part of the Great Commission in some way, there's a problem. If we're not involved somehow in the go, making disciples, baptizing and teaching people in the faith and what it means to follow Jesus, then we're missing something in our walk with God. About 1,500 years ago, there was a young man, and this young man, through a series of events, ended up leaving a life of selfishness, brokenness, pride, basically an ungodly life, and coming to faith. He came to believe that Christ was the only way to salvation, and without Christ's death, resurrection and ascension, there was no hope for him, but with Christ there was all hope, purpose, and joy. And as a result of him coming to faith, he began to look around for a place where he could learn more about what his role was and what it is that he was called to do. And he had heard about this very, very famous hermit who was revered by people for some of the things that he had said to different people years ago. That he had, he, he had come sort of to a community and said some very, very wise things. And then he withdrew to the mountains, really removed from anyone. And this young believer had heard so much about this hermit that he wanted to go and hear from him what it is that might be his role in the kingdom of God. And so he he took this journey and slowly but surely got enough directions and enough of idea where this hermit was. After several weeks journey into the, the hills, he found him. And initially, the hermit was a little bit put off by him coming. He hadn't invited him. He he lived truly a solitary life and wasn't used to having people around. It had been literally years since anyone had come to to see him, not since he had last gone down to speak to the people and teach them what it is that he had known. So, after a couple days of the believer sleeping outside in the cold because the hermit would not welcome him into his hut. They became just familiar enough that they began to build a little bit of a relationship. And finally, after about four or five days, the hermit opened up enough to welcome him into his home. And for about the next month, They interacted. They walked through the forest together and had long talks. And in these long talks, the hermit would teach this young believer about how he saw God in nature, about how this bug showed the glory of God, and how the weather and the season showed God's plan and purpose for his creation. And he heard great words of challenge about how you can see God in so many different ways if you will but open your eyes to see them. And truly, over the course of this month, the young believer was challenged in some really amazing ways and encouraged and, and really felt just this, this desire to go and serve God. And every night, the hermit and the believer would sit and they had some portions of God's Word and they would read them, including the Gospel of Matthew. And at, as they read, the young believer was convicted even more and finally, he said to the hermit, he said, thank you so much for what it is that you have taught me. I am grateful for your encouragement. This, is, this will always be a special time in my life, and now I'm going to go and be a part of God's work in his kingdom, the way he made me to. So he leaves the hermit, and he goes to the, the city where he lived. It's a big city. And instantly, he starts to get involved in the life of the kingdom." He, he seeks out the poor. He seeks out victims of injustice. He seeks out people who are young in the faith and they sit and they talk and they pray together and they learn more about God's word together. He sits at the feet of leaders of the church, the local priest, and learns from him. He is a part of worship life in every facet and form. He sees great work of the Spirit. Not everything is perfect. He's still a broken human being, and there are others who come and hold him accountable for things he needs to know about his own selfishness and pride. He 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 works with others who also need to walk through confession and all those things. He continues to see the kingdom in his world grow, and he's very, very much, much um, at, at peace and, and joy with what God is doing in his life. And this goes on for really like 10 years. And he sees the church in this in the city grow, and he sees its impact in the lives of the poor, the victims of injustice, the widows, the orphans. He sees people come to faith. He sees people who are struggling come to a place of being able to trust in God in their struggle, and he himself feels that way. Finally, after these ten years, he thinks longingly of his time with the hermit that brought him to this place and says, it's time to go see him again. So he makes the journey back into the mountains of several weeks. And he travels through the different valleys and he comes up to the hermit's home, and the hermit is still alive, still there. And The hermit is glad to see him because in his last ten years, he's only seen a couple people who've made this journey, and they only for a little time, a few days at most. This young man had been the person that he had spent the most time with. And they begin to talk. And over the course of the week, they talk more. The young believer had looked back on his time with the hermit with great joy. But this time was different. This time, he wasn't learning nearly anything as much. The talks that they had when they went through the woods were the same talks that they had had years ago. In fact, at the end of the night, they would sit at the fire in the hut, and he spoke of his journey of faith in the city, working with others, discipling them, encouraging them, challenging them, seeing them grow in their faith. The hermit's jaw dropped in awe of what God had done to him and became more agitated over the course of the week at these talks. And finally, on the last day, the day before the young man was to leave, it blew up. And the hermit, as they were talking, finally said, Enough! Enough! You cut me to the heart, young man. You cut me to the heart. The young man said, But old friend, why is it that I cut you to the heart? And the hermit says, Because you understand things of God that I have never, ever learned. You know things of the kingdom that I cannot see. You see things that I have missed. And I confess before my God. I have not listened to him to go and make disciples. Please, young man, tomorrow take me with you. Introduce me to your friends. Show me your city and help me learn more how to disciple and be a disciple. For in that work, God does His greatest work in us. I don't think I know of any of you who are hermits in the mountains physically, but I think oftentimes we, as followers of Jesus, can be convicted of being hermits in our spiritual life of discipleship. That we can be indicted because we have secluded ourselves from this work of going and being a part of God's kingdom in making disciples, of teaching, of being a part of baptizing, of being part of the kingdom of God in this own unique way. And for us to think about and wonder about the question... Who are you discipling? And who is discipling you? Intentionally, thoughtfully, prayerfully, those questions become pretty key to us growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we look back at the text of Matthew 28, we see how Christ not only challenges, but then He the disciples to be about that task. You see his first sentence. The first sentence of verse 18 says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying to the disciples, guess what? You're going out to this great task and it's a big one. Go and make disciples, where of all the earth. Go out, wherever it is that I call you to go out, whether it to be to the ends of the earth or the end of your street. Whether it be in the, in, in the far away places or in your living room. I'm calling you to go, but you will only be about the work of discipling through me. Because I have the authority I have the power. This comes through me. Discipling is about pointing people constantly to who Christ is, showing them Jesus because he's the one where we have our source for power. And yeah, they can begin this new work, the church, It begins here in Matthew 28, but only because Christ has empowered them for the journey ahead. That's the only way this works. There's no way that disciples, in and of their own capacity, no matter how much they planned, no matter how much they focused, even no matter how much they prayed, if they were just about it on their own, then the church would have just been this small cell, maybe of 11. Maybe it would grow just a little, but it wouldn't have the power that it does through Jesus Christ, who works in them through His Holy Spirit he 's saying, "Go, but no, you don 't go alone i 'm going with you, and all authority has been given to me, and that 's what empowers you because their redeemer is with them, they can do the impossible, and they do. they build the church now. We in our world don't look at the church really in the same way that the disciples had to because we're a globalized world. We're a world where you and I can send an email and in a split second it's in China. You and I in a world where if news or an earthquake happens in Sweden, we can know about it within several seconds. Because News travels fast in our world. In the disciples' world, to go out and make disciples over all the world means that you do make journeys of weeks at a time. To go simply two, three hundred miles, to go to the next town was an epic event. And to go to the ends of the earth, you wouldn't be able to do it in your lifetime. That's the impossible. And yet, through the holy spirit's presence given to them through the authority of jesus christ they do the impossible and you and i sit here today in light of their work this is as a result of the great commission that you and i are here and not only did christ promise them his presence then and for the rest of their lives christ does that still for us last verse. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The age isn't done. This is the age of the church. The Great Commission is still at work. The command still holds. And you and I are still given authority by Jesus Christ. And we are still called to go. Make disciples. Baptize. Teach. But Christ is with us. And that's why it can happen. So, since this promise of Christ's presence still holds true for us, and we know it in our own lives, we know it when we mourn, we know it when we have joy, we know it when there are challenges, we know when there are, everything is smooth. His promise still holds. I am with you. Because Christ has done his work of redemption in us, we can, through the Spirit's presence, be a part of the continuing impossible task. We continue to be a part of taking the gospel to every part of the globe, globe, discipling others, baptizing them, teaching them, making disciples. We are still a part of that, equipped by the Holy Spirit. But in that, for us to remember that the impossible task of sharing the kingdom happens one person at a time. Oh yeah, Billy Graham, God be praised, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, in the heyday of the ministry, would go into these parts of the world and bring these huge revivals and this great gospel message, and thousands would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know how those things got sustained? They got sustained because people within the local church would find those folks who for the first time at Billy Graham's revivals had confessed the name of Lord Jesus Christ Spent time teaching them. They got connected to churches so that people, individuals just like yourself, gifted just like you are, equipped just like you are, would teach them what it meant to walk with God, to know God's love, to learn more about God's love, to understand more fully how to live in obedience to Christ. That's how truly the kingdom grows And it grows through you and I, one person at a time. For us to remember that the impossible happens one person at a time and ask the question, who has Christ empowered me to disciple? That's where we begin. Here's what I want to throw in front of you. Who are you intentionally discipling? Now, for some of you, that's natural. I know that some of you are teachers, teachers in public schools and Christian schools and whatever sort of context you're in. And in that teaching, you're doing some discipling. But my question for you is, how intentional is that? to make a disciple of Jesus Christ there, to share wisdom, God's presence and God's love, God's challenge, God's equipping for that individual in a unique fashion so that that person can go away feeling like God is growing in me through this person's work. Perhaps some of you have been that hermit spiritually in your own life. You're not even thinking about making disciples, folks. This is the command that Christ gives to his disciples to start the church. How in the world can we sit back and say, well... I've got other things to do or I'm not equipped to do that. The command stands for you and I. Make disciples. Be a part of his work of growing the kingdom. Be actively pursuing those relationships that God is calling you towards where you are discipling somebody in the faith and where you are being discipled by someone in the faith to a deeper understanding of God's love, God's challenge, and God's presence in your life. You and I can't simply sit back and wait. For this stuff to naturally happen. Oh, sometimes that does work. God be praised. He is incredible that way and finds a way to impact our lives. But the challenge for us is to say, how are we doing that intentionally? How are we seeking opportunities out where we are discipled, where we grow, where we learn, and where we do that for others. Where we see the kingdom grow. And when this happens in us, God uses us to change the world that we live in. The impossible task continues. And you and I see the Spirit's impact in this relationship, in this person, in this family, in this neighborhood, in this workspace, whatever it is as you and I intentionally ask God in faith to be present in us through the Holy Spirit's work and the power and the presence of Jesus Christ that has redeemed us to, to be a part of his kingdom. As, as we do that, we see Christ's presence grow. You know what? It may not be in another person even. Maybe like he, that young believer, it may be in you. And thus we come to our new mission statement. A new mission statement that really isn't new at all because it's been around for 2,000 years. This is our mission statement. If you would, Terry, throw it in. We exist. This is what we are doing. We exist to make disciples who put God's love on display to our world. We are showing the world God's love and we understand that the fundamental means of God showing his love to the world is through Jesus Christ to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. We are showing, showing the world God's love and as we do that actively in word and in deed, we see God not only grow in us, but in those that we have relationship with. My challenge for you and I, and we'll present this in different ways, and you're going to hear more about this in days and weeks and months ahead. My challenge for you is to begin to ask the question already. How am I intentionally about going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Now, on that baptizing thing, oh yeah, it's a bigger conversation, and we talk about that. Don't worry, we'll work some of that stuff through. But understand fundamentally for this work to be paramount to what we do. Jesus called the disciples to it because that became their purpose. This was their mission. This is why they existed. This is everything that they did. And the command still holds true for us here at the river and in the church universal, wherever God has called us to go. Would you pray with me? We are grateful, O Lord God, that you have given us Jesus and him crucified to redeem us and to empower us through your Holy Spirit's presence, to be a part of your work of discipling others, teaching, baptizing, seeing people grow in the faith. And we ask, O God, that if there is somebody that you are calling us to, very specifically, a name in our life, someone that we know, someone that maybe we're going to know soon, that you make it abundantly clear to us through your Spirit's presence in us, That that's the person you are calling us to intentionally, prayerfully, faithfully engage in relationship with so that we might see your spirit grow in them and in us too. And also, Lord, on the other side, there are people that we need to be in relationship with because they can teach us, show us those people. And Lord, open up that opportunity in such a way that we can grow in how we are discipled and receive your Spirit's power in our lives. I also pray for those who are here who do not know you and do not know your Spirit's presence in this way. I pray, O Lord God, that you convict them to the depths of their heart, that they realize that their purpose is not sure, is not clear until their purpose, their mission, Why it is they do what they do is in you. There's no other hope except through the authority, the presence, the righteousness, the work of Jesus Christ. Father, all that work is yours. We ask that you do it in us today. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand.